by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 John 3.16. If I told you to turn to John 3.16, you wouldn't even need to turn there because you probably already memorized it right what does that say for God so loved the world look at all them preachers out there in the house today got scripture memorized that's good that's good so John three sixteen talks about Jesus giving everything that we may have life what does first John three sixteen say you know there's the first second third John after the first John the gospel 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's saying the same thing as John 3.16, isn't it? Saying the exact same thing, that we know for God so loved us, and, and it's proven right here, we know that real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Then it says, so we ought to give up our lives for the brothers and sisters. That just seems like a reasonable response to that kind of love, doesn't it? He gave his life for us. Now he's saying, I want you to give your life for one another. Verse 17 says, if somebody has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, but let us show truth by our actions. Say truth by our actions. That's how the truth is displayed. It's not just saying it, right? It's the truth in action. Truth by our action. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. You know, a tree will be shown by its fruit, right? The actions, the way you're living out what you know. It ain't about what you know, it's about what you do with what you know. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. And as pastor of the Passion Church, and if you're a member here, my duty, I believe, before God, one of the main things that I can do is prepare you for that day when you'll stand before God and give an account for your life. And, and first of all, I want you to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne of judgment. So to get to help you see your need to be born again and see your need to love others with that same love that saved you. Is this making sense so far? You're all, I've got all that, Pastor. We know all that stuff. You know, a long time ago, I was playing in a bar band called Diesel Jane. This is this was some time ago before I, I got saved, you know. And we, we played together for about five years. I remember our very first gig, so to speak. That's what you call it if you're a musician. It's a gig. It's not a show. We played a gig. It was a big, important gig. It was at some guy's house. He was having a house party. He said, we're having a bonfire. We want you guys to play. We got there. Of course, there was no stage or anything close to one except a lawnmower trailer. And our first 
gig, we sat on a lawnmower trailer out by a bonfire and played to a bunch of drunks. In fact, I was able to pull up a picture of that very night. That's, that's the very night I'm talking about. And you'll see to my right, some of you may recognize that guy as Jamie Burns. He plays in a well-known band to this day. And if you look way in the back, you can see a beardless drummer who's also known as Troy Allison, also known as Santa Claus, also known as Sasquatch, a lot of other things, but he's the guy who was playing drums this morning. You can cut the lights back on. Thank you. And Angie wants me to tell you she took the picture. So. Were we together back that long ago? We were, okay. But there's a couple of things I remember about that particular night. You couldn't, we didn't take a picture of the lawnmower trailer, but we were standing on one. We, there was two of them side by side, those amps that you see in the background and the drummer that he was on another trailer. But one of the things I remember, there was this dude at the party, he was so drunk that he kept walking through the bonfire. He was, watch this. You know, you ever seen that? He walked through the fire. Now, most times he'd make it through because he'd walk through fast enough. Sometimes he'd flame up a little bit and they'd have to roll him around. And they'd tell him, don't walk through there no more. But a few minutes later, I'm going to try it again. Watch this. And he would walk through the fire. I, look, kids, don't drink alcohol, okay? <laughs> Another thing I remember was about the, the mindset of our band back in those days. It was all about the money. We wanted to make money doing this. And so we were, when we started our set, there was another couple of garage bands that played before us. It probably was better than us at the time. But when we played, we put out a little coffee can that said tips on it. Diesel Jane and, and some handwritten letters and tips. And we put it out front and we told them, you know, if y'all li like the band, give some tips. And so we played, and when we got through, they had put like $65, $70 in the tip jar. And so we said, hey, we get a little something. About that time, all the other bands that played before us, they come over there and said, well, we come up to get our share of the tips. We were like, dude, you should have put your own tip jar out. <laughs> you know, we put our tip jar, y'all should have put a tip jar out. They, the way they saw it, you know, since nobody was getting paid, we were all going to share in the tips. Not in our way of thinking. We put the tip jar out. It was our tip. We almost had a big fight. And I think if I, I don't think we relented. I think we kept all the tips and we just left the bad guys, but we left $65 richer. As many of you know, that same band played together about five years and then in one year they all got saved. We all got saved at the same time and the band stayed together and we changed our name to Soul Food. And if you know anything about my testimony and the testimony of much of this church, she's got a shirt on right there. We're all still together. Yesterday, we played at Youth Villages under the name Soul Food. 35 kids raised their hand and gave their hearts to Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Pretty cool. But when we was first starting at Soul Food, we still had this old mindset, you know. We were still Diesel Jane with a new name, you know. <laughs> we had new hearts and a new name, and that's about all we knew. We didn't have a new brain. And so we, it was about time when websites were a new thing, the Internet was new and such, and we didn't know how to make a website. There was none of these easy sites, so we paid her, bro her brother, my brother-in-law, to put us together a website. He was a little computer genius. And he didn't know what to say on it, so his mock mock-up of the thing, it said soul food. 
one of the most influential bands of all times. And we were yet to play a gig. I thought, man, that's pretty aggressive. I like it, but, you know, that's embarrassing to take it off. And so we made him take it off. But we, it's always been a joke of ours that we were going to become one of the most influential bands of all times. I say all that, why? I don't know. But I will tell you later. I'm sure there'll be a point to it. We'll make up one if there's not, right? But today's message is entitled Detours. Detours. The last message of this series. Because true Christianity, I believe, is filled with detours. Jesus told a story about a Jewish guy that was on his way to Jericho and he got beat up by some robbers and left in the ditch to die. And he was about on the brink of death. And it says, a priest now, clergy, he walks by, sees the guy over there bleeding and moaning and about to die. He goes on the other side of the road and walks right on by. Then a guy that worked in the temple, a temple assistant, assistant to the priest and such. He, he sees the guy. Oh, wow, dude, you got messed up, you know. But doesn't stop to help and walks on by. Jesus is telling this story now. He said, but a despised Samaritan coming along, clippity-clop, clippity-clop on his little donkey. Now, see, Jews and Samaritans hated one another. If anybody could have kept walking by, it should have been this guy. But he gets off his donkey pours some oil in his wounds, helps him up, gets him on the donkey, lets him ride, and walks him into town. Then bandages his wounds and, tell, and stays the night with him and tells the hotel owner the next day, here's a couple of silver coins to pay for his stay, and if you, know, if you have to do anything for him and he needs more money, I'll pay you more when I get back. Jesus said, which one was the neighbor to this guy? Clearly, the Samaritan, even though he was an arch enemy, you know, in the natural, how many know some natural things ain't natural? They ain't right. Being enemies with somebody because of the color of their skin or because of the, the way they believe or something, that ain't right. But why do I say all this? Because he was the only one that took a detour. He was on his donkey. I'm sure he had a place to be. But he stopped. And the others, well, you know, I'm sure the priest, you know, he had, he had a sermon to preach. He had to go tell people about Jesus' love. <laughs> you know, sometimes our task, even our religious task, need to be interrupted. We believe that they're so important that we refuse to take a detour because the task becomes more than the people. More important than the people. In Matthew twenty two twenty seven, Jesus tells us the great commandment. The great commandment. This is the biggest stuff that you can imagine. This is what God says is the greatest. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We say amen to that. Clearly, I mean, that's, Everybody knows that we're supposed to love God. That's the biggest thing. If you do that, man, you're good. 
He said this is the first and greatest commandment, but he said a second one is equally important. Now, what could be as important as loving God? Equally important. Equally important. The same as. Equal. Equally important. What is this second commandment? To love your neighbor as yourself. God is saying, it's so important that you love me, but it's equally important that your love is not just vertical, but horizontal. And that you love each other. And it's only, I mean, if I was God, I would say it's more important that you love me. (laughs) But it's only because he is love. And everything that he's about is loving and loving each other. And when he sent his son, guess what? Jesus took detours. Say Jesus took detours. Do you believe it? I know his disciples, they were focused on the task at hand. The logistics of getting Jesus to the next town among all these multitudes and these throngs of people. They were probably a little bit into the pomp and circumstance, you know. They were thinking they're big time. We're rolling with Jesus. We're the entourage. You know, I can see them coming down, down Main Street with their motorcade, even though they didn't have motors back then. But they were, you know, picture them coming through town. You, you see governors and you see the president. If he were to come through, they stop all the streets and stuff, you know. And, and I'm sure all those Secret Service agents, man, they are on task. The logistics of making this happen. They're consuming every thought. Nothing is more important than getting him there. And all of a sudden, in the background, you hear a voice. Jesus! Jesus! Have mercy on me, thou son of David! Jesus! Be quiet! Jesus is coming through! You're going to interrupt the master. He's thinking. He's preparing for his next sermon. Keep it down over there. Jesus says, pull over. Pull over. And he made a detour, didn't he? There was a time, Jairus, he was a leader in the temple. His daughter was dying. And they said, man, this, Jesus, this guy, you need to help him. He's a leader of the temple. He's big time. Let's help him. And Jesus said, well, let's go. And he gets his entourage, and the crowds are thronging him, and they're walking on the way to, to raise this girl or to heal this girl at the time. And a little old woman reaches out and touches the hem of his robe. He's like, who touched me? Peter, who do you mean touch you? Everybody's touching you. We're trying to keep people back from touching you. He said, I felt virtue go out of me. And the little woman said, Jairus. I can imagine. He's like, Jesus, can we do this some other time? Can we just keep the task at hand? Remember, I was first. I got there first. Jesus, my daughter. This woman, she's over there bleeding on herself. Come on, Jesus, let's keep the task. Jesus is like, no, no, I'm going to make a detour. And I want you to know, Jesus will make a detour for you, no matter what your social status. And and you're thinking, well, wouldn't it be more important to get to the girl because she just died? Jesus can raise the dead. So if Jesus interrupts your plans, you can be okay about it. He can make it happen. 
If Jesus interrupts your plans, he will make it happen. Say, make it happen. I remember he got out of the boat one time, and up ahead was a bunch of tombs. Now imagine his disciples saying, well, Jesus, we're getting out here because this is a good place to land, but we're going to walk around this grave site because there's this maniac that hangs around in the tombs, that he'll, he'll, mess, us, he'll mess our schedule up. Jesus like, no, I want to meet this guy. You, you don't want to meet him, Jesus. He's crazy. He runs around naked, breaking chains, and cutting himself with stones. This guy's he's a maniac. No, I got something for him. And he takes a detour. He casts a legion of demons out the man. Say detour. I bet this one made the disciples mad. They were going to Jericho. They were probably expecting to stay in the Jericho Hilton that night. And Jesus looks up, and he sees a wee little man in a tree. He's, I see you up there. I see you trying to get my attention. I see you reaching out to me. I see you, like Kaylee said, calling my name. Zacchaeus, we're going to eat at your house tonight. And the disciples, no, oh, I thought we was going to Red Lobster. Now you want us to eat with sinners, man. You know what that's going to do? That's going to cause all the Pharisees to come down on us. But no. Jesus loves sinners too. He loves to see them come to repentance. He takes detours for sinners. He takes detours for lepers. And the hurting. And the bleeding. Because he can raise the dead and he ain't worried about it. He cares about people. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, it says, We don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught us to love one another. When we look at Jesus, we see Jesus has taught us how to love one another. It wasn't like Jesus didn't have priorities. It wasn't like he just lived a haphazard life with nowhere to be. You ever, you've seen those people, it's like, Good Lord, are you going to get anything done? Do you have any plan, any purpose? We know for a fact that he had a purpose. He knew exactly where he was supposed to be at all times. But he was willing to be interrupted for love's sake. Are you willing to be interrupted for love's sake? To take detours to encounter somebody else's needs. I remember one time we was about to have church. Somebody called me and said they couldn't make it. There was a new person that had come on a Wednesday and they was going to come on a Sunday. I'm down the street, you know, and I was like, this is, I'm like, a, I'm like a new pastor here, and this is my second Sunday. I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be there when service starts. But I, you, something told me, just go get the man. So I got my coat on and was walking down out to the sanctuary, and the sanctuary was filling up about 10 minutes till service. I was fixing to go get the man, and so, thankfully somebody else went and got him and brought him in. But I believe it was a test. To see if I was willing to make a detour when God asked me to. Didn't mean to tell that story, but what about you? What about at your job? Is that number crunching you're doing so loud that it drowns out the cries of the guy that works with you who's kind of begging for some friendship? So lonely? Or the widgets that you're making? Got so much of your focus that you don't recognize that your partner's about to commit suicide? 
What about in the community? When you go to Kroger's, is that grocery list so engaging that you can't make eye contact with anybody in the store? I wrote a newspaper article one time called Elevator Buttons. Because I began to notice people would get in the elevator, be four or five people in the elevator, and they're all staring at the elevator buttons like, don't look at me, I won't look at you. We go out of our way, we take a detour not to be seen of people. Oh, I know them, I'm going this aisle. I don't want to say hello. See, that's not God's way. He's a God of relationship. Especially when you see somebody in need, it's like, oh, I hope he didn't see me. That's not the way it's supposed to work. I'm just, I'm just thinking. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, we're supposed to be different. It proves to the world that we're different. The world is looking for something different. And they look to the church, and if they don't see us different, they call us hypocrites and say, well, I'm already like that. There should be something genuinely different. Not just in here. I, we got the world's lovingest church on Sundays and Wednesdays. I just hope we're just the same on Mondays and Tuesdays. I really hope so. What about your home? Are your household chores more important than family time? You can't manage to have a, an evening dinner together with the family because you're mad because so-and-so hadn't cleaned his room and so-and-so hadn't took out the garbage. Y'all vacuum before we're going to eat. I ain't going to fix nothing until y'all vacuum. Y'all can go to Kentucky Fried Chicken for all I care. <laughs> Is there still plastic on your couch? So, you young folks don't know nothing about that. But uh, those of us who the couch has been passed down to us at our mother's death or something still has plastic on it because they used to sell them with plastic on it to protect them, probably just for the journey from the furniture store to your house. But the the... The people back in those days would leave the plastic on it, and you'd be sitting there sticking to it in the summertime. <laughs> Never enjoy the couch. But it's going to last longer. I couldn't wait for that thing to die. Man, after 20 years, can we take rip the plastic off and enjoy it for a moment? Same way with the good china in the cabinet, right? <laughs> it's like, Mama, why are we eating on these chipped-up Walmart plastic plates when you got them fancy jobs over there in the cabinet? Well, son, that's good china. You know how much that's worth? What if the governor comes by? We're saving that for the governor. <laughs> Mama, the governor ain't never coming to our house. <laughs> and if the governor can't... Mama, everybody in this house is more important to you than the governor. Think about that. 
the governor comes to our house, it ain't good. <laughs> you know, I have a little sink space. You know, a little bowl where I brush my teeth. Angie's got over here, she's got her own little sink space where she keeps her hair products. My kids, they have their own bathroom with a shared sink space. But I don't know why. But everybody wants to brush their teeth in my sink space. Everybody. And they don't know how to brush their teeth. They brush their teeth and spit big wads of toothpaste on the side of the sink. They don't rinse it off when they get through. They shave, leave crumbs everywhere. They, they use all my stuff. And then my boy, he, I've, I've got this nice little hand towel that's in a little circle thing that's right there. I do like this when I get through. He rips that thing off. Wipes his mouth and throws it at the tub. And so for a long time, every time I would come into my bathroom, I'd reach for my towel after I was completely upset about all the toothpaste and junk. And I, and, and I would reach for my towel. It wouldn't be there. So I did what most men do. I went and got a padlock. I went and got some steel cable. And I punched holes in all of my towels and put them rivets thing. What are they rivets? What are these things called? These little round things. I punched them in. I bought a, a thing to punch the things in and ran the steel cable through it and locked it with a padlock. And I dared him to try to throw my towel back at the tub again. Oh yeah, and I put my brush on there too. Now, that was just for starters. I was waiting on them to do something else. But, but I got to thinking, one day my kids are going to be grown and gone, and I'm going to look at that sink and wish there was just big globs of toothpaste all in it. I'm going to wish my towel was thrown over there. I'm going to wish my house was a little bit messy and it wasn't just some, like some mausoleum or something that doesn't, hadn't been lived in, haven't been loved in. And so I decided I was going to unpadlock my towel. And I did. And that's been about three weeks ago, and I feel so much better. <laughs> but we got to begin to take notice of people around us. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, These three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is what? Love. The great commandment is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission is to go out in all the world and basically love them. Love, love, love. God is love, and he is trying to make us people of love. Love is meant to take precedent over everything else in our life, a task that we are assigned here at the church. I tell all my department leaders, okay, your guest services, your job, or if you're an usher or whatever, you come down here with the buckets or whatever. No, that ain't enough. You come down here with a kid and love on him and teach him to take up the offering. You love, it's about the people you're doing 
the task with. It's never just about the task. As people, we get so task-oriented. But open your eyes and look around, and you might be able to love somebody during that task. It's never just the task. God wants us to be big-picture people. Big-picture people understand it's about love. You know, when I was working at Power and Telephone Supply, before I became pastor, I, I was account manager for diff, different uh, Comcast, really was my main customer, but I would sell cable TV supplies to them. And there are different locations all over the United States. Well, when there was a hurricane come through to hit the Gulf Coast or hit Florida or something, man, we would go into panic mode. Call all your customers to see what they need, you know. I'm not sure if it was so much about seeing if we can help them or see if we can sell them a bunch of stuff at this dire hour. <laughs> but anyway, we would, we would panic and we'd make a list of all the people affected by the hurricane or the blackout or whatever it was, and, and we would call and say, can I help you? What, what do you need right now? We've got trucks standing by. Our warehouses are open. We're making, putting people on overtime to make sure you get what you need when you need it. And man, we would really get frustrated. And it, and it would be a traumatic time. Man, these people really need our services right now. We've got to come through for them. And then I begin to think, TV is probably the last thing these people need in the middle of a hurricane. And so I begin to just call them and say, man, I'm praying for you. You know, we'll do anything we can. We begin to send them cases of water and things that they needed. I was working for a really generous company, and we would stock bottles of water so that we could send into disaster zones and stuff in time of need. That's what a loving company does. And I began to see, man, it ain't about how many, how, a spike in sales because they need more, all their telephone poles are down. It's about loving one another. And if you do that, guess what? Then your sales are going to really go up <laughs> because they're going to remember it. With God, life is found in both the journey and the destination. I know it's easy to believe that when we get to heaven, everything's going to be all right, and we just, we just in idle until we get there, and we just relaxing and chilling until Jesus comes back, but that ain't the case. The kingdom of God is now. Your ship came in when you got saved. Now set sail. The greatest of these, which is love, is meant to be for the least of these, too. It's not just for friends and family and the ones that you should love. It's for the least of these, the ones that nobody else will love. I mean, even the government says no child left behind. The Marines say no man left behind. As a church, what should we say? Nobody left behind. That should be our, our motto. Nobody left behind. And I think it kind of is when it says in the, right in the middle of who we are, everyone matters. Right in the middle of all that. Right where it should be. Everyone matters. Me and Angie got married almost 24 years ago. Probably the best day of my life. 
other than when I got saved a couple years later. <laughs> but, but we got married, and we had this song that we, we played at our wedding. You know how you play a song and the bride and the groom dance? Back then, I was kind of rough and gruff and bossy, and I had my brother over there with a big old jam box, you know, with the CD I'd made. I don't know if it's CD. It might have been a cassette back in those days. But it had this song on it. And I, I stood up in front of everybody, and I said, all right, this is a song. I want you to listen to the words. It means a lot to me and Angie. We're going to dance now. Hit it, Heath. And Heath pushed that button, and this song came on. And I didn't know how true these lyrics were going to become. We said we'd walk together, baby, come what may. There come the twilight, should we lose our way? As we're walking A hand should slip free I'll wait for you Should I fall behind Wait for me We swore we'd travel Bottled side by side Y'all saw me dance on Wednesday night We help each other but each lover steps fall so differently. But I'll wait for you if I should fall behind. Wait for me. Now everyone dreams of. That's the way life is supposed to do. If I should fall behind, wait for me, and if you do the same, I'll wait for you. We're moving forward in 2018 as a church. But if we don't get there together, then we haven't won the, the race. You know, Dad's going to get us across the line, right? Just trust in Dad's way. I will... Remind you that I told a soul food story and I told you there may be a tie-in here. The most influential band of all times. <laughs> well, it didn't quite work out like that, you know. We never made the big time. But I tell you, we were awful influential at Youth Villages yesterday to those kids. Awful influential to the elderly at the nursing home to the homeless down at Squirrel Park where we minister Jesus, to the warriors at the Warrior Center who need to know somebody cares. And most importantly, I think we've been awful influential in each other's lives, doing life together, and that is the way it's supposed to be done. My main regret is every time that we would play a gig, and I, and I was so focused on getting equipment set up or tearing down equipment or, or wrapping up a cord and somebody would come, somebody who had just freshly run through a fire somewhere. And I didn't take time 
to speak with them, take time to minister to them. I administered from the platform, but I didn't learn that that's not my job. That's not the end of my job. That it was before the show. It was after the show. You know, that's the condition of humans. For the most part, they're out there just running through a spiritual one fire to the next. Sometimes they flame up and you have to roll them around a little bit. But they get back up and they run back into the fire. We need to sober them up with God's love. We need to care about them enough to get outside of our task-oriented minds and willing to take a detour. If our church heads forward in 2018 at the expense of the weightier matters in this life, like love and compassion and true dedication to one another, well then guess what? We've missed the whole point. So that's the end of this series. We're moving forward, but you matter. And we're not letting you fall through the cracks. And we're going to pray for all of you. And as much as you're willing to let us invest in your life, we're going to try. And as you learn to let go and to trust other people within this room, within this congregation, within this body, then the better we'll all be. The more we'll all begin to show that love that sets us apart as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we'll do life together the way it's meant to be. Our God is a God of relationships, not of sermons and tasks and events. Relationships, each other, what matters. Loving God, His people, then His purposes. His purposes together. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.